pray together that the Lord would do just that. That God would speak to our hearts and that we would, we would come hungry and wanting to hear. So come with me as we talk to the Lord, pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we do uh, thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for the confidence that we can have that you are with us. That you never leave us. That you never forsake us. Lord, that you don't sleep, you don't slumber. You are the source of help for us today. Lord, I pray now as we uh, take time to look in your word, God, I pray we'd have spirits that are, that are open to what you have to say and that you would indeed speak to our hearts. We thank you for the truth, Lord, that we have. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I know I've shared with you on many occasions that, um, that my family and I enjoy hiking. It's just something that we picked up and, and have been doing over the years. It gets us out in the nature a little bit, keeps us fit, you know, helps us to exercise together and see some beautiful sights. And um, one of the things that, that, uh, that I've learned about hiking is, and if you're, you know, if you're looking to get started, uh, you need to be aware, that footwear makes all the difference. What you wear on your feet is, is just, it makes a tremendous difference when you're out there you know, whatever you're doing, walking a long way, so if you've got a pack on your back or a bunch of gear with you, it's amazing how a bad pair of shoes or, or just ineffective footwear can ruin your day. But even worse than bad footwear, because I know for me, one time, you know, I spent all this money on, on the right shoes, and as I'm walking along, you know, I, I realize my foot is hurting you know, it's just, there's this pain in the bottom of my foot. It just doesn't seem to go away. And, and I've learned that when that happens, you need to inspect it. You know, because you might have a sock that's, you know, kind of twisted funny, and it's weird when you step on that, that foot over and over and over, and your little sock just folded strange can, can do some weird things. Um, here's, here's one to watch out for. One time I was hiking, and I could just feel that my foot was hurting, my, my, my ring toe. Okay, I, I don't really ring, wear a ring on that toe, but, but the fourth one, okay, it was just hurting so bad. And, and so finally, you know, I pulled off the trail, I took off my shoe, and there's blood on my sock. And here's what happened. You know that little excuse for a nail that you have on that tiny little toe? You know that little thing that's just there? There was this little piece kind of sticking out to the left and just rubbing over and over and over on that fourth toe. And just rubbed that thing to death. I mean, it was bleeding, it, it ruined my trip. Because that little excuse of a toenail. It's weird how that can happen, you know? But maybe even worse than that is you get a rock in your shoe. You ever have that happen? You know, you just, you're just walking along, you feel this thing in there, it's just driving you nuts, and you got this rock in there, and, and just, it's just driving you crazy. I brought a rock with me today. Do uh, you have a rock? Oh, do you really? Well, that's interesting. How many you have? Ready? One, two, three. You go, see how many rocks you have? One, two, three. Oh, okay, okay, good, good, I'm glad to hear. You were instructed to get one to three rocks. Did you get one? I have two, okay, I have two. I've got, I've got this one, okay, and then I've got uh, another one here, I think, if I can get two. Yeah, I've got my other rock. Um, now, this is a special rock to me. I'm really weird, okay, I'm strange. Um, this is a rock that I played on as a kid. Okay, I, uh, I went back to the stream that Limestone Road runs beside Limestone Creek and dug down in the creek and, and found that rock. Okay, now I don't remember playing on that rock. I, I, I don't want to lie to you. It's not like I can have a vivid memory of it, but I know that rock was in the stream that I played on. 
Um, I drilled the hole in it, in case you're wondering. Okay, that's not millions and billions of years of water dropping in the middle of it. No. That's five minutes of me in my front yard with a great big drill. So that's all that took to make that hole. But you got a rock today. Some of you have one, two, three. I've got two. One big one and one small one. Now here's why I wanted you to have one of those. We've been talking a lot recently, the last couple weeks. We've been talking about an issue in our lives. The Bible calls it anxiety, anxiousness. And the truth is, every single one of us have something in our life that raises the anxiety level. And I wanted you to take some of those rocks today. Some of you have one, because some of you just have, you know, it's like life is easy for you. You know, you just got like one thing that caused a little bit of stress in your life, and that's all there is. But others of you have a whole bunch of things. And so maybe you got three. You represent a lot of anxiety, okay? Now, I don't know what it is that, that brings anxiety into your life. But in your hand today, you've got something to represent those. Because here's the truth that I want us to see today. The Lord Jesus Christ, through His Word, offers us peace, commands of us joy, and promises us to deal with anxiety, to deal with the things that that raise that level of anxiousness in our heart, to deal with them, and to give us a peace that transcends all understanding. You see, here's where I want to go today. I'll just tell you. You've got some anxieties in your life. You've got them in your life. Some of you got one. Some of you got two. Some of you got three. But what I want to point us to today is a great big rock. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. And no matter how many small pebbles you have in your hand today, we lay them out on a balance scale and drop your three pebbles on one side, And I drop this rock on the other, or better yet, that one, okay? And it wins. It wins. What is the rock? What am I talking about? How does God offer us a peace that transcends all understanding? How do I get there? God's Word's going to answer that for us. Go to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4, and let's see uh, what God's counsel is for us uh, about anxious thoughts and anxiety, and really what it's about, it's about joy, it's about peace, it's about having what God intends for us to have in Him. I'm going to read verses 4 through 9 of chapter 4 of Philippians Philippians is a, is a short little book of your New Testament. Paul wrote it. He's in prison when he wrote it. He's writing it to a group of believers that he had invested his life in and then had to leave them, and he's arrested and thrown in jail for the simple reason of proclaiming Christ. He pointed to Jesus, and it got him a jail cell. But in the midst of that jail environment, he says this. Verse number 4, chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, in prison now, for proclaiming Christ. And I'll I'll say it again, he says. Rejoice. 
Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He is close. God is close. Do not be anxious, verse number 6. This is a command, by the way. Verse number 6 is a command. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Come to God in that intimate relationship you have with Him and come to Him in thankfulness and make your requests be made known to Him. And look what verse 7 promises. As you have this anxiety, God promises. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, so it's not even comprehensible what happens, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We talked about those couple of verses over the last two weeks. But today we're going to kind of drill down in verses 8 and 9. So let's read those for today. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the peace, that is, that is, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, I want to look at verses 8 and 9 today. And I want us to understand what they are saying and what the point of this is. You see, when you look up at verses 6, 7, 8, 6, 7, 8 is, is kind of directing us, what do we do when we have anxiety? When I have anxiety in my life, anxious here, just a review, anxiousness means that you're being ripped apart by two opposing truths. That's what it means to be anxious. So God's going to provide for me, God promises to provide for me, and I lost my job. Anxiety. That being ripped apart... By two, as we perceive them, truths is what anxiety literally is. Okay? There's other anxiety. And I'll just, just as review, just a review, just notice what this passage has been saying. Okay? Up above it, it talks about relationships and how those can cause anxiety. That's up in verses 2 and 3. Some of us have anxiety in our relationships. There it speaks of two women that are conflicting with one another. Here's how it looks. You love your wife. You love her. But you tell her you don't want to ride in the car with her. I'm sorry. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) So, you love your wife, but the two of you are conflicting. You're conflicting. Two truths that, from your perception, are true. And they're ripping you apart. They're ripping you apart. So relationships can cause this anxiety. Our situation, job, God provides, can rip us apart. There's another one. Our, our, our very relationship with God. Our very relationship with God can, can rip us apart and have anxiety. Here's what this looks like, and this is where I find it always goes. This is where it always goes, I believe, for all people. 
Here's how it looks. I've got anxiety over my job. I've got anxiety over my relationships. I've got this anxiety over something. You sit there for long enough, and you sit there in enough quiet, and sit there with the television, the internet off long enough, and eventually you're going to get here. God, why did you let this happen? Don't you love me? I thought you cared for me. You made promises to me, and now this is happening. You tell me things in your word, and I don't see them playing out. See, I've got this truth, the truth of God's word, and I've got the truth of my experience, and they rip me apart, whether it's relationship, whether it's circumstance, whether it's your, really, your relationship with the Lord. We get ripped apart. What do you do then? What do you do? Well, that's six and seven. You go to God in your intimate relationship. You, you with thanksgiving, you present requests to Him. We talked about that, okay? That's how to handle the, the emergency anxiety that comes your way. But seven and eight, I'm sorry, eight and nine, super important for us. Eight and nine is preventative. It's not reactionary emergency care for anxiety. Eight and nine is preventative. This is how the Lord is going to keep you from being overwhelmed with anxiety. Here is God's answer to us. So this isn't so much responding to anxiety, it's preparing us for the coming anxiety. So if you have a situation that's causing you anxiety in your life, you you need to look at 6 and 7. But for the anxiety that's coming tomorrow or next month or next year, we need eight and nine. Eight and nine. Particularly at the end of verse number eight, there's a word that's so important here. It's in reality the only thing that you're commanded to do in verse number eight. You see, there's a kind of word, it's a verb, you've heard that before, but there are special verbs called imperatives. They tell you to do something. It's a command. There is an imperative in verse number 8. And you as a believer, if you're going to obey the Lord, if you're going to obey Christ, you have to do what He says to do in verse number 8. Do you see it? Do you see the one imperative? Let me read it for you again. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise. We haven't been told to do anything yet. I've read most of that verse, and I haven't been told to do anything. I can just stop there. And I, I got no obedience. I got no command to respond to. At this point, I haven't been told to do anything. But the next word tells you what God wants you to do. You Ready? Think about these things. Think about these things. We've got to talk about this word think. We've got to because it is, it is the reason why we struggle. The absence of this think is why we struggle. It's why you struggle with anxiety. It's why you struggle to trust God. It's why we struggle to, to believe that He cares. It's why your relationships struggle. It's why you fight with your wife. It's why you fight with your kids. It's why you're envious of your neighbor. 
It's why you want something nicer, something bigger, something better. It's why you envy. It's why. It's because we don't think about these things. It's pretty important what we think about. Now, this is, this is a special word. I think I've got it. Yeah, I've got it up on the screen. Okay. Logizomai is what it is. Okay, that's the Greek word. You can see in that word on the right-hand side, L-O-G-I-C. Inside of that word is the word logic. It kind of gives you an indication of what this word means. It doesn't just mean a fleeting thought, like, hmm, that's interesting, and you go. That's not what it means. This word is often, now listen what this word is translated to in other, other passages where it's used, other translations of the Bible. It's translated, think about, in this verse. It's also translated, dwell upon. Dwell upon. It's, it's translated, consider, regard. It's an accounting term, folks. Remember I talked about the balance? It's an accounting term. It's in a term that an accountant would use. I want to balance your books. I want to logizomai your books. I want to sit down and let's work through the books and make sure that they are correct. I'm going to dwell upon this and, and reconcile it. Consider what it means. This is not a fleeting thought. This is the thoughts that you dwell upon, you meditate upon, that your mind retreats to when anxiety is present. This is where you go. I want to give you just a, a, a several practical things to think about here as far as your thoughts. Before we talk about what this means, think about this. The, you are the number one audience of your own thoughts. Will you think about that for a minute? You are always hearing your thoughts. We had a very talkative child, one of our kids, just rah, 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 all the time. You walk in a the room, they're talking. You got one of those? Always talking. Always, like fill the room with, with words all the time. But compared to my thoughts, they didn't have a chance. My thoughts are always here. They're always here. So what I dwell upon matters. You are the the number one audience of your own thoughts. And you hear them all the time. And they are impacting what you feel and do and how you respond. And they can cause anxiety. They can cause anxiety. I want to show you this word in a, in a couple verses, okay? So, so keep your finger here and go first to Romans chapter 8. Go in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. I don't have this on the screen for you. If you don't have your Bible, you're going to have to listen for it. But Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. This word, think about, is here in it, and it, it just fits what we're talking about today so well. Romans chapter 8, verse number 18. Romans 8, go back just two, three books from Philippians to Romans chapter 8, verse number 18. Paul is talking about how when we are in Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God. When we are in Christ, nothing can separate us from Him. Nothing. We're brand new creatures. And we are His and He is ours and our relationship is set. But in verse number 18 of chapter 8, it gets real, real for us. Because the reality is we live in a sin-cursed world. And look what it says. 
Paul writes, For I, now listen and I'll tell you where the word think is. You probably will know as I read it. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This word is in that verse. Do you see it? He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, that word consider is our word for today. Paul says, I'm in the world and there's suffering. I suffer in this world. I suffer struggles. I suffer difficulties. I struggle against sin. It's here. But I consider, I dwell upon, I think about this and I realize that the sufferings of this world are nothing compared to the eternal glory. My wife and I were talking about this recently. And, you know, I, I really appreciate, I'll brag on my wife, you know, you can do that once in a while. And she's very content, and I'm very thankful for that. Very content. Full of joy. And I'm talking to her one time, like, how, how, do we, how are you content? How do you have joy? How is that there? And we got talking about, how does this play out in our relationship? You know what it is? It's a choice, yes. Contentment is a choice. Joy is a choice. And the way you get there, what we do is we talk to one another about the things in our life that we're thankful for, that we have joy about. You know, I could complain about my job just like yours. I can complain about my house just like you do. I can complain about my car just like you do. I can do that. And that robs me of joy because then I'm not thinking about the blessing God has brought in my life, thinking about the things that stink. Dwell upon, Paul says, I consider, I think about it, I dwell upon it, that the suffering in this world is not worthy of comparison to eternal glory. I'll look at one more verse. Go to Hebrews. And then we've got to get past this, this think about. It's so important. You should look at those other verses I gave you. I knew we wouldn't have time. But go to Hebrews chapter 11. Let me, let me tell you the story here. Hebrews chapter 11. We've got a guy named Abraham. And he is, he is affirmed because of his faith in this passage in Hebrews chapter 11. As an old man, God blessed him. Him and his wife, and they had a son. The name of that son was Isaac. Right, right. And he was so excited that he had this son. And as the son grew to be a young teenager, God came to Abraham in the way that God did in those days. This is prior to God's written word. God comes to him, and he says, Abraham, my servant, take your son, your only son, go up on the mountain I will show you, and sacrifice him to me. Now get into Abraham's moccasins that day. Your son? Kill him? Can you, man, can you imagine the anxiety in his heart? Did I hear you correctly, Lord? This is what you want me to do. And you may wonder, what was going through Abraham's mind? Because I'll tell you what he does. He takes his son up on the mountain... He lays him on the altar, and he lifts a knife up above him, ready to plunge the knife into his chest. He's going to do it. 
And you might wonder, what's going through his mind? What is he thinking? Hebrews 11 tells us. Verse number 19. And you'll see our word again. Verse 19. He being Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. He considered this truth. This is this dwell upon. This is the word think that Philippians uses. Folks, we have to realize that our relationship with Christ involves our minds. And if you just let the floodgate come into your head of all the feelings and the thoughts and the the things that just rush to you, the things that naturally come your way, you will not walk by faith. You will not have joy. You will not have peace. But what we must do is what Abraham did here. He dwelled upon truth. He thought about truth. He reckoned on truth. He pondered truth. He spoke to himself truth. He didn't listen to himself. He talked to himself. He didn't listen to the lies. He didn't listen to the the words around him. He spoke to himself and he spoke truth. It's what we must do. Go back to Philippians now, chapter 4, and we'll kind of stay there the rest of our time. Philippians number 4, verse 8. Think about these things. Dwell upon them. Put your mind at work on them. Remind yourself of them. Ponder them. Meditate upon them. Reckon upon them. When the, when the chips are down, when the anxiety goes up, draw upon these deep truths. This is how we are to think God's way. Thinking God's way. Now, what is it that, that we're going to think about? Okay, skip. I think we need to skip a slide there, Randy. But let's go to, to this everyday sort of process in verse number 8. We're going to see an everyday joy that God is calling us to. So we're going to talk about our thought life. We're going to talk about our thought life. Now, what Paul gives us, just a couple things. Verse number 8, you see it there? First of all, I, notice, I want you to notice he says, Finally. Finally. So what we have here, Paul has, been, Paul has been building a foundation, and now he's like, he's given us the climax moment. Finally, he says, finally, we're here. We've been building towards joy. We've been building towards peace. We've been building towards our awesome God. Now, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell upon those things. Now what is Paul giving us? What is God giving us? The Spirit of God is giving us. You can think of it almost like a filter. You can think of it like a filter. As I, as, as I discipline my mind, taking my thoughts captive, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 5, we're to take our thoughts captive. What is, my, what is my brain and my soul and my heart, what are they to dwell upon? Run them through this filter. Run them through this filter. Now, let me just say this. I also want to, I want to understand something here. That Before we go into this list, um, 
I'm not saying, because I know what some people, if you're thinking, I know what you're, what you're thinking right now. If, if, you're, if you're contemplating this, you're thinking, lo, that might work for you. Because after all, you're a pastor. Okay? And so, you know, you sit in your office all week and you read the Bible. But man, I'm in the real world. You don't know what it's like out here in the real world. Okay? That, that might work for you, but it doesn't work for me. I want you to understand. He said that you are to dwell upon these things. That doesn't mean that other things aren't going to be in your mind. Okay? You know, if you're a carpenter, you're still going to think about a hammer and nails. If you're a lawyer, you've got to think about law books. If you're an accountant, you've got to think about, you know, tax laws. If you're a teacher, you've got to think about your students. When you're driving down the road, you can think about the rules of the highway. When, you know, when you're, when you're doing whatever, your mind is going to be, other things are going to come in your mind. Other things, you have to function that way. I get that. But he didn't say, only think about only these things. What he's saying is, dwell upon, ponder, reckon upon these things. Regular life includes thinking about all kinds of stuff. But this is the filter for what our mind says to ourself. Couple phrases, and I want you to see. I want you to see some things here about this. First of all, he says, "Whatever is true, whatever is true," in verse number eight. Now, Jesus said this. Listen to Jesus in John seventeen, verse seventeen. John seventeen, verse seventeen. Jesus said this: "Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is true." Same word. True, is, it's pretty simple, it's kind of hard to define, okay? But true means that it's pertaining to being in accordance with historical fact. That's what true means. So the first sort of principle that Paul has given us here is that what we are meditating upon needs to be true. It needs to pertain to fact. And Jesus himself said that his word is truth. So what this means is this. When you are out living in the real world, okay, the things that you're going to allow your mind to sort of wrestle with and be wrestled by need to align with the source of truth. With the source of truth. So let me tell you something this filters out. What this filters out, what it filters out are the lies that come our way. The lies that say, if God loved you, he'd make it easy for you. If God loved you, you wouldn't have struggle. If God loved you, you'd have everything your little heart desires. See, that's not true. That's not true. So when you have those kinds of thoughts that wrestle your brain, the passage is saying, don't dwell upon those Don't sit there and think about that. I know how it works because even in my real world, I deal with that too. I deal with that just like you. I'm out living in the real world and something bad happens to me, okay? I get a pebble in my shoe. It starts to hurt my foot. And I think, God, how dare you? I mean, I hope I don't really go here, but you get the idea. How dare you let this happen to me? A rock in my shoe. I thought you were in control of all rocks. You could have kept that rock out of my shoe. Why'd you turn your back on me? Filter that out. 
And then you meditate on truth. God, you love me. You would never leave me. You would never forsake me. You, you love me like the perfect father. The little child. There's little kids that go running here at 10.55, 11.55 every morning. I love watching your boys run across here. It's so awesome. That little boy, that little girl, climbing up in a daddy's lap. That's God's love for you. That's truth you think about. Not why didn't you let this happen, God? Not why didn't you give me this? Not why did you do this to me? Not that. No, no. God, your love for me. You dwell upon that. You meditate on that. And you know what you'll find at the end of that rainbow? You find joy there. You find contentment there. You find Christ and His Spirit placing in your heart the joy of the Spirit of God. Now, we can do this with every one of these words. Okay? Honestly, most of them are pretty self-explanatory. But we'll walk through them and we'll hit a couple along the way. The next one, whatever is honorable. Now, this is a little harder to translate. Okay? Let me tell you some ways that different translations handle this. Some of them say noble. Some of them say reverent. Some of them say honest. Many of them say honorable. Okay? And what this means is it means that it is, it is um, here's the definition, befitting behavior implying dignity and respect. It's respectful thoughts. Respectful to who? Well, in the context, this is God's word. So what this means is we allow our thoughts, we, we meditate, we, we allow our brain to wrestle with thoughts that are respectable to God. Respectable to God. Okay, let's get real on this one too. You see, when we allow things to come in our gate, whether it be through the ear, through the eye, when we allow things to come through our gate that is disrespectable, that dishonors the Creator God who made every male, who made every female. So when we disrespect God's creatures and God's nature as the maker and as the lover of her or him. When we allow those thoughts to creep in and then we meditate upon them and then we dwell there, we abide there, we sit down with a heavy stone in our backside and sit there plant ourselves and watch. You see, that is not of God. And you will find no joy at the end of that rainbow, gentlemen, will you? See, you find grief, you find guilt. You find horror there. God is giving you filters Thoughts are going to come to your mind. 
Okay? There's another word that God could have used if this was just a fleeting thought. He didn't say, only have fleeting thoughts that apply to these six filters. Dwell upon these things. Having dignity for God. The next one is just, and most of your translations will say that. That is, that is fitting with the character of God. The next one is pure. All the translations, quite honestly, say that. It means without defect, without sin, without blemish. The next one is lovely. Whatever is lovely. Now, this is the only place where this word is used in your New Testament. The only place. Okay? And it, it takes two words and crams them together, and this is interesting for some of us. Okay? It's the word phileo, which means a, a brotherly love, like Philadelphia, okay? the city of brotherly love. And attraction is what it does. That's what this word does. So what this means is, we are to dwell upon things, think about things, meditate upon things, ponder upon things that draw us to brotherly love. Meditate upon things that draw us to loving you like a brother. Loving you like a brother. And I have a brother. We're not real close. A lot of brothers and sisters aren't. But I've got Christian brothers. And we're tight. We're tight. And you know what? They can tell me, you know, they can come in, hey, Lo, man, guess what happened? You know, such and such happened, and such and such happened, and I got a brand new car. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome, dude. That's great. I'm excited to hear that for you. See, I'm drawn to brotherly love. But what we do, we see and we hate. We see and we envy. And then we wonder where Joy is. We wonder. It's because what we're allowing into our brains. Continue to go here. The next thing is commendable. This is another word that, that means attractive, admirable. Okay? The, the last two phrases are kind of like broader reaching. It says if there's anything, if there is any excellence, okay? This means a virtue, outstanding goodness. And the other sort of wide branching thing here is worthy of praise. So we got these little things, you know, true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable. And now we got these broader terms of if they are excellent or worthy of praise. Here's the, here is the truth. All these phrases, they all speak about God and His Word. They're all referring to the character and the nature of God in His Word. You want to know how to balance out the small little pebbles in your life. You want to know how to deal with these things so they don't spill you over. They don't knock you down. The only way we get there is to do what Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 say. Let me read them for you, okay? Let me read them for you. Psalm 19, I think I got it here somewhere without turning to it. Maybe not. Oh, don't you hate when this happens? There it is. Okay. Psalm 19. Listen to verses 7 and 9. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, revives the soul. The testament of the Lord is sure. It makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, 
Rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. Endures forever. Psalm 119, 165 says, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Nothing. You see, here's what, here's what the good Buddhist would tell us. If we brought in the Buddhist and we said, Tell us, O oh wise one, how can we deal with the anxieties in our life? You know what he would say? He would say, anxiety isn't real. You need to separate yourself from anxiety. That your own selfish desires want. You need to squelch your selfish desires. Anxieties aren't real. That's what what the good Buddhists would tell us. Bring Bring the Muslim in here and ask him, what do we do about our anxiety? You know what they would say? Allah has brought these things into your life likely because of your sin. Turn to Him. Obey Him. Follow Him. And these things will be gone. What would the good Christian pastor somewhere that's right now proclaiming a health and wealth and prosperity gospel, what would he say about the anxiety that's in your life? He would say, just follow the Lord and just give in our offering plate. Just do what I tell you to do and all those things will be gone. But that's not what the Bible says. Anxiety is going to be part of your life. How do you have joy? What we do here, what we do, is we overwhelm them with truth. We overwhelm the anxiety in our life with the truth of who God is. This is, this is the the way, the antidote, the, the avoidance of anxiety's effect on us. Overwhelm our minds and our hearts with the truth of God. I've had people say to me, Lowell, you tell us to read our Bibles too much. It's not all about that. I've had people tell me this after church. You just tell people to read the Bible too much. Seriously, we have had people tell us that. Why is that? I have people tell me, Lo, you tell us to be at church too much. Why, why do you think I tell you that? Is it because I get some kind of sick fascination about you reading your Bible or sitting in this seat? No. It's because we love God. We know God. He loves you. And I want you to experience the joy and peace that He offers. I want you to have that too. Because God's given me that. And I want you to have that. So let the rock be heavy. Dwell upon the truths of God. See, what I'm doing is the next verse. I'm trying in my little feeble effort to do verse 9. See what Paul says? What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Now, this is Paul. But honestly, it's many of us in this room. Some of you, I know, you got the big rock in your heart. Some of you do have joy. 
You do have peace. And what the Spirit of God is saying to us is look at them. Look at those. And what you learn from them and what you receive from them and what you hear, what you see in their life, you do it. You do it. And the promise is, notice where, the, where this ends. You know, up in verse number 7, we're promised a peace of God. And I want that, and so do you. It surpasses all understanding. But now in the end, verse 9, we have a promise. Now we're not, not, we're not promised here the peace of God. No, it's much bigger than that. We're promised the God of peace. And there's a difference. There's a difference. We are promised that the God of peace will be with you. How is joy a command? How is peace a command? How can God command me to have an emotion? How can God command me to feel a feeling? How can God command me to have something that's a result of other things? How can that be? How can I be commanded to have joy? How can I be commanded to have peace? That's how. Dwell upon God. Meditate upon God. Let your mind be wrestled with truth about Him. And the fruit of that wrestling match is joy. Is peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you for your truth. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, it is so practical when we allow it to be. Lord, I pray that we would take the thoughts captive that come against you. And instead, we would shout in our own minds the great truths we have from your word. That you are a fortress. You are a strong tower. You are an ever-present help that you never leave us, that you have our good in mind, that you are making us yours, that you call us saints, that we are forgiven, that we can come to you and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that we are yours, that we are your child, that you have accepted us, adopted us, forgiven us. So many things, Lord, that you will give us what we need for this day. That treasures in heaven are worth more than treasures, treasures on earth that we can build on the rock of you, not the sand of this world. That in this world we will have troubles, but we should not be dismayed because you are greater than he who is in the world. So many great bedrock truths, Lord. Fill our brain. Fill our hearts. Overflow us with joy. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.